I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. You're either on the range or you ain't. Halfway there ain't actually there at all. It's high noon for Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Also, yesterday I was a guest on the Steak for Breakfast podcast and it was a great conversation with all of them. We covered a bunch of the day's news stories, and then that conversation kind of traveled to a bunch more topics. I highly recommend you listen to that. The great Zuby was on there before me, and then I co-hosted with them for the last two hours of the show. So you can find that linked in the Telegram feed, or just search Steak for Breakfast on any of your podcast apps and it's the most recent episode. Today is the 315th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You've woken up a little bit. You've come our direction a little bit. But the problem is, while you've done that, time has marched on. And now your position that you have moved slightly over to happens to be as wrong and as behind the times as your position was a year ago. So sure, you can have an A for effort, like Alejandro Mayorkas, when he discusses how well the fake administration has done at the southern border. But if you're asking credit for your effort, you're kind of admitting that you didn't actually get where you were supposed to be going. Because the true goal is fixing 2020. Nothing else can move forward before that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. If you are beginning to realize how basic and fundamental that issue is, then fantastic. Get all of the way there because that's where you are needed. And if you're having trouble doing that, you might want to do a little reflection and see if perhaps the problem is your grip on that last thread of the party of false decorum. Are you scared that very serious people are going to think you're crazy or that you don't know what you're talking about or that your goals are just pie in the sky? Have you lost all faith in the ability of this country and its people to turn this thing around? If you have, why don't you just sell out completely? And if you haven't, why don't you get rid of your attachments to the party of false decorum and stand up for what you know is right? And if you're ready to do that, the last thing you have to do is just get rid of all those stupid and evil communist ideas and then make amends with everybody you have shamed and bullied and slandered and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. And then you simply migrate back to America and fight for the things that actually matter, like the future of this country and your family and your friends and your children and their children. And how about world freedom while you're at it? So come on, migrate back. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Wednesday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. 
Now it's time to show you what pathetic defeatism looks like and sounds like. This is from this morning on War Room. And this is Nigel Farage, who has largely been viewed as a hero of populism and national sovereignty for his work in accomplishing Brexit in the UK. But this morning, he basically destroyed all of that for himself in one of the most embarrassing displays I could possibly imagine. And it is extremely disappointing. But the thing is, he wasn't tricked. He wasn't set up. He said all these things for himself. And now this is who Nigel Farage is. I've seen some extensive private polling that suggests that the message of the stolen election, the message that it's rigged, the message that it's all so bad is actually potentially demotivating to up to 20 percent of Republican voters. And look, I've lived through postal voting. I've lived through mail out ballots. I predicted on your show on the 4th of August last year that he would lose, you know, win on the day, but lose. Now, Bannon is going to answer him. But I want to add something to what you're about to hear Steve Bannon say in response. Nigel Farage just cited some extensive private polling that suggests that 20% of Republican voters might stay home if we keep talking about the 2020 election and trying to fix the obviously fraudulent 2020 election. First off, we are three years away from the next presidential election, and we are almost one year away from the midterm election. Thinking that all these people will be in the same mindset a year from now or three years from now about the 2020 election when we know evidence of election fraud is coming out constantly and there is still a series of different challenges to that election, including the Lindell case that is on its way to the Supreme Court, although obviously taking longer than expected to get these attorneys general to make their move. We have Tim Ramthan needing one Wisconsin state senator before his initiative to decertify the 2020 election in Wisconsin gets put before the Wisconsin legislature. We have Attorney General Mark Burnovich in Arizona supposedly running an investigation into the 2020 election fraud based on the information from the audit in Maricopa County and the canvassing elsewhere. We have Garland Favorito in Georgia. We have Pennsylvania initiating an election audit. We have things going on in Wisconsin besides Ramthan. We have Michael Gableman, the former Wisconsin Supreme Court justice, doing his independent investigation. And we have the Racine County Sheriff trying to bring charges against the Wisconsin Elections Commission. There is a lot going on already. So imagining that the public opinion is going to stagnate or somehow turn against finding out what happened in 2020 and fixing it, that is crazy. And I don't actually think Nigel Farage could possibly believe that, which makes me question why exactly he's saying it. And it's just fine that he has been through elections with mail-in voting and he's used to these weird machinations. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter at all. Okay, Hold it. You're absolutely you're absolutely correct. But that's why we get. But but you and I will come to a different conclusion on that as a Republican establishment. That means we got to get back to the three November. We got to get to the bottom of three November. This is an example, you, Nigel, of what happened in Virginia. We had ninety five percent. Hang on, ninety five percent turnout of election workers and 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 poll watchers because we're not going to let this happen again. We've got Blake Masters during the joint Arizona. He's in studio okay. here in a second. But uh, by the way, I understand it's demotivating. But the way to re-motivate is say it's never going to happen again. Yes, sir, go ahead. Right. Okay, listen. I understand what you're saying. I have fought court cases in the United Kingdom on postal voter fraud, right? I've seen it. You know, Sadiq Khan is mayor of London, above all, because of mail-out ballots. But, and here's the important thing, 
That negative must be turned into a positive. That negative has got to become, you know, I am the candidate, we are the party that is going to clean up American politics. The greatest country in the world deserves to have an electoral system yeah. full yeah. of yeah. integrity. Okay, so it's actually, but let me, let me, you, you've always been anti-establishment. The establishment would say, oh, we just got to focus about the future and doing the future and new laws. That is incorrect. There's only one way to do this. And you know how determined I am, Nigel, right? I'll never yeah, give up well, on this. We're going to get to the bottom of no, 3 November. It, that 20%, that 20%, that 20% is going to be turned because they're going to say, hey, if we, Nigel, and you're our mother country, if we allow the, the, the largest, most powerful nation on earth to just sit there and say, hey, they stole it and we have to get over it and we have to change a few laws and focus on the future, we don't stand for anything. We, we, no, 14 generations come before us. You're a military historian. You know what people sacrificed in Normandy over the skies of Europe yeah. at Guadalcanal, right, uh, in, in World War One. How can we, in, at, at Gettysburg, how can we look these people in the eye and say, oh, yeah, it was too hard, it was too tough. You're, you're the best uh, non-professional military historian I know. How can we do that, sir? This is, if you really think this through, there isn't that much difference between what you're saying and I'm saying, right? Wrong. There is a world of difference between what the two of them are saying. What Nigel Farage is saying is absolutely worthless. He is just giving the Republican establishment line. And I'm not saying he's a Republican or part of the Republican establishment in America, although he is saying the same things as them. And the things they are saying are 100 percent approved by the global communists or they wouldn't be saying them. You know, I've lived this for 20 years, by the way. You've only had it for a year. I've seen what broken down, corrupt <laughs> electoral systems can do. Now, first off, that's just wrong. There has been election fraud in America for a very long time, and it has been totally ignored and unattended to. And what exactly is Nigel Farage's brag here that he's been working on this stuff for longer? Oh, so you've been working on this very serious existential crisis in your country for 20 years and you haven't fixed it. So why do we listen to you? That attitude is actually why this country has lost so much for so long. But what I'm telling you is, if it sounds like harping back, if it sounds like an utterly negative message, I mean, look, this narrative cost the seat in Georgia. Turn it round into a positive. We're going to learn the lessons of what happened on November the 3rd last year. We will never oh allow God. this to happen Nigel. again. Nigel. And the poll brother. And the poll says brother. over... Brother, Democrat brother, Democrat. brother, you have not been watching. That did not. That is that is the Republican Party establishment. That what cost us in Georgia, we had two candidates that would not get to the bottom of three November. If they had st right. if they stood up one time, you would have had 100 percent participation. People are not going to come out. People are not going to come out if you just sit there and go, oh, yeah, it was a problem. And we'll solve it in the future. The, the election is about the future. The future is now, brother Farage. I got. I got to talk to your team. I. I got to. I got to get you in the war room more often. This is okay. Last thing, Nigel. Because yes, sir. Go ahead. Why did we get Brexit? Did we get Brexit because we said we can't stand the European Union? We don't like unelected foreign bosses. Or did we get Brexit because we said we want to be free, proud, and independent? And here's the point: huge numbers of people are not as political as you or I, but they want to vote for positives, not for negatives. And it's about turning around the awful things that happened last year into a story that America is going to have an election system that is absolutely the best, Nigel, the most best, best Nigel, integrity. Of Nigel, brother, brother, you're talking to me. Again, utterly ridiculous. We're going to turn this into a positive story about how Americans are going to have the best elections in the world, and that's going to get these 20% of people these 20% of mythical Republicans that he's found in extensive private polling to come out and vote? Well, why are they going to vote for fixing elections if they don't understand how and why the elections were stolen and what the impact of that was? And what is their motivation 
if they don't believe that justice can be achieved when an election is stolen by global superpowers intentionally in the greatest country in the world. They stole an American election and not just for president all the way up and down the ballot. And it is great that we are now well over 50% of this country who understands that generally, but they don't understand the specifics of it. People aren't generally looking into all of the elements of election fraud and trying to understand them. So how are they going to know when a candidate is telling them the truth about what they're going to do to fix elections? How do they know that the Republican Party is doing anything to fix elections? course, the Republican Party isn't doing anything to fix elections. There have been election integrity bills passed in various states. Did they fix anything? No, of course not, because the people passing those bills are also sometimes the people benefiting from fraudulent elections. Are we supposed to imagine that some of these people involved in writing and passing these laws are not getting advice on where to leave loopholes so that the same kinds of scams can be run? It's absurd. And beyond that, laws and rules about voting, the actual mechanisms of voting were changed by people who are not state legislators. That is done outside of the Constitution. And there has been no accountability for any of that. And there has been no accountability for obvious and admitted violations of law in elections. So what do the rules around the margins matter if people will just break the rules knowing that they won't be held accountable? We're acting like there was just a little cheating here and there. Oh, this may have pushed the election a little bit this way over here and a little bit this way over here. No, it is a massive system meant to evade the election laws when they're not able to change those laws in their favor. And we're like, oh, yeah, we finally got some form of voter ID somewhere. Well, that's not going to fix it. You think they can't figure that out when their entire life is figuring out how to take over open and free societies like this one? This isn't a ballot stuffing scheme from the 1800s. This is an attack on our election from every possible angle to ensure that they get the outcome they want all the time. Have we seen any place where they are trying to stop the use of machines completely? Is that happening somewhere? And I just don't know it. I'm not saying there aren't politicians standing up and demanding that. I'm just saying it hasn't happened and there's no motion toward it happening. All of this nonsense from Farage is, as Bannon often says, just happy talk. Like, ah, it's just going to all be okay. We're just going to all be positive. We're going to work together and then it's going to be okay. That doesn't work when the people you're working together with are also criminals. What Brexit, you, you talk, I, what are you talking about? You're not on Fox. Please stop. You're not on Fox. You're not on Fox. This is the war room. Okay. And I love you like a brother. I admire you. You won Brexit because your determination and your billboard and your campaign, right? And I don't remember talking about the sunlit uplands. The Boris Johnson argument in that didn't win, sir. Nigel Farage's and Raheem Kassam's argument won. That won. Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's uh, whole airy fairy. And then you see in Boris Johnson, Trump just called him out. Our country. We want our country back. That was a positive affirmation of what we were going to do. Yeah. Controlling our borders, being proud of our yeah. identity. It's all about. I'm going to go back. We'll go one day. We'll deconstruct the campaign. And we'll see the positive versus the reality. You gave him reality and that's where they did it. And you're the man. OK, anyway. So he's basically making three arguments about why we need to stop focusing on fixing 2020. One of them is that he believes it is unpopular due to extensive private polling to continue to be focused on that and that it will turn off voters. Another is that it'll somehow distract from other priorities that might move those voters to our side. And then the last one he made that this whole position kind of hinges on is that there are too many people 
who are not as connected to politics as he is or Steve Bannon is. And that is a really disturbing argument to make because that is exactly the problem that we are trying to deal with. What we need to do is make sure that people are not still disconnected from the important issues in politics that actually affect their lives. People are dejected. They are apathetic. They are uninformed. That's fine to state as a fact of the world, but that is also a problem that can be fixed. It's not some like permanent state of things. And we're seeing how dangerous that position and that mindset is. That is the exact mindset that the global communists have been working to project onto the American public for decades. They don't want people paying attention to anything. I'm not the first person to say this. People have been saying this forever. And I used to think it sounded silly. People would talk about bread and circuses. They would say, turn off the television. You're watching too much sports. That is a waste of your time. That is a distraction. You're watching too many movies. That's a waste of your time. That's a distraction. You're getting too involved in pop culture. That's a waste of time. That's a distraction. And that position is actually right. It doesn't mean that there's no space in your life for those things. It means that you are being conditioned to live a life where you are focused only on those things. And once you're there, it gets easy to think, oh, yeah, The immigration issues really are just about racism, and I'm not a racist, so I'm just for whatever they want to do with immigration. That's insane. This is how we get to the position where people don't know what's being taught in their children's schools, and then they find out, and that's good, and now there is some pushback to all that. All of that is great that that pushback is finally coming, but that problem was a result of our detachment from political issues. And the pushback is a result from people coming to learn that that stuff is important. Spreading the truth about these subjects and emphasizing the importance of our attention is the goal. And pretending that it's an example of hard realism to state as fact that people's detachment will continue and we must work around that is a statement of defeat. We've been convinced that politics just aren't that important and that both sides are bad and it doesn't really affect our lives. Things are just going to go on and we have to make the best of it. No, all of the problems in American life stem from this influence of the ascension of communist ideas and ideals in our government and in our society. The detachment from these political issues and the role they play in our lives becomes the basis for our complacency in all other parts of our life, including in our personal relationships and in our jobs and everything else. We are conditioned to just turn a blind eye to corruption because it seems too hard to fix. Or just ignore politics because it's all so complicated and it gets divisive and people might get upset. Oh, no. Mo Brooks tried that argument at a rally in Alabama a few months ago and got booed. There is no future for that position. And it is so strange to me that people who are still in some way in this battle, they know that election fraud exists. They know the election was stolen, but they just want to fix it in the future because it's too impossible to fix what happened. There's no way to bring Trump back, even though there is. And we're just going to fight for election integrity and we're going to fight them on the other issues, even though that's not happening. All these people are just repeating the lines of the Republican establishment. The uniparty wants that position. That's why that position is being pushed. That position is supposed to appeal to people as doing enough for that thing they care about, but also it's going to help all the other things they care about. As if somehow focusing on the 2020 election and the fact that it was stolen makes it impossible to push forward 
on all of these other things. These things are all connected. The reason we have all these other political problems is because our politicians are unaccountable because they know they don't have to actually go out and serve the people in order to win elections. They can just be handed wins in elections so long as they protect the underlying system. And the sad and disturbing part is that this position is 100% derived from the central narrative that appears on TV, in newspapers, and all over the place on legacy social media. Again, this is a very safe position for the uniparty, okay? If Republican establishment politicians are the ones who are writing these new election rules and laws and pushing them over the finish line, Are we really supposed to believe that those rules and laws are going to restore election integrity? These are people who will go out and say the election wasn't stolen in the first place. What incentive do they have to actually put in fixes? They know that if they protect the system, the system will protect them. The incentive to then keep the system in place is massive. The incentive to fight against the fraud that already happened is non-existent except from the people, which is why so few of these politicians are brave enough to actually stand up and do something about it. And we're being told that we should reelect these people who don't do anything about the biggest crime committed in the history of this country. That's like if your house gets robbed and your neighbor stood outside witnessing the whole thing. And then when the cops come and say, hey, what did you see? And he's like, well, you know, It's really hard to say. I'm not sure. But it seems like they stole everything fair and square. I mean, my neighbor wasn't home. So I guess really it's their fault. And, you know, in the future, I hope that maybe they'll just stay home all the time to make sure that no one is able to to rob their house again. I'm going to encourage them to put up a short fence around the outside of their lawn, not like a gate or anything, because no one wants to look at that. We don't need to go that far. But what what might help is a a short fence and a sign that says beware of dog. And then maybe we can put a camera somewhere, but not not near the front door, because we don't really want that camera to record us when we're like walking the dog or when we go out and come home that just, you know, it feels kind of creepy. So we're going to focus on building a short fence outside and hope that that will deter the home invaders. And sure, I could give you the license plate of the van and I could tell you what the guys looked like. And I could tell you exactly when they came and when they left and I could tell you what they took, but the truth is, I mean, they've already taken it and the likelihood that we can get it back. It just, you know, it seems improbable to me. So what I suggest is that we just wrap up this police report and uh, maybe I'll donate $5 to the build a short fence fund. And we're going to just see how that goes. And hopefully that will fix the problem. I mean, it's crazy. There is no justification for taking that viewpoint, thinking that you are just being a cold, hard realist and you don't want to sound crazy. You want to be a very, very serious person so that people will respect you. That's nuts, man. Why would anyone allow themselves just to be walked all over like that once they know it's happening? And it turns out, There's a big chunk of the population that is saying exactly what I just said. We're actually not okay with them walking all over us and stealing our elections. And then a bunch of illegitimate politicians putting in all sorts of laws and rules and regulations that destroy our country one little bit at a time. And we're not going to stand up because we don't have the time or energy to pay attention to all these important issues. We would rather just allow the country to be destroyed over time. We're just going to call this progress as we walk into a new era of enslavement after we accept the end of human liberty on this planet. And then the argument always comes up that if Donald Trump was really trying to do anything about these problems, he would have never left office. And I mean, we've gone over that plenty of times. That makes absolutely no sense. 
if you actually pay attention to what he did in office and what he's done since. There was no way he could just stay in office without putting some sort of military power play into place. And people can say he should have done that. I'm open to that being right on some level. But what would have been the result of that? To some extent, we cannot possibly know how the global communist power structure would have reacted to something like that. And we don't know how the country would have reacted either. We do know that there were riots set up all across the nation. I mean, that was basically in the Molly Ball article from Time that I spent a lot of time on back in, I think, early February when it was published. I think it maybe was February 4th or something like that. But whether or not you believe in something like devolution, which I think is not even necessarily a matter of belief, that work is so well researched and so well sourced and so thoroughly logical that it can't just be dismissed as a belief system that you either buy into or you don't. But despite that, there are still plenty of positive outcomes that you can see from the fact that Trump stepped away to whatever degree he did. And first among those is that we didn't start a civil war. And to think that that was just outside the realm of possibilities, if Trump had tried to use the power of his office to stay in place while the fraudulent election was sorted out, well, that seems crazy. I'm not sure anyone would actually take that position, especially not after seeing political violence throughout the entire second half of 2020 enacted by the same groups of people who were funding and controlling the election fraud. As bad as the situation is now, there are worse possibilities. In fact, the way the situation is now, if it continues too long, might end up in that place to begin with. So there had to be some other way to solve that so that we don't have civil war on the front end or the back end. And I firmly believe that that is what they are trying to accomplish. They are also exposing all of the problems with the global communist agenda and with the corruption in the Washington, D.C. swamp. We are seeing these things for real now. Finally, for the first time, for many of us, these things do not wake us up until they affect us in our own lives. So if you're trying to build an overwhelming consensus of Americans who are all understanding of the situation and all on the same path toward rectifying it and ridding the country of this corruption, of this outside control, then unfortunately, it actually has to affect people's real lives, including all those people in the party of false decorum who can't speak truth about anything, who are very precious about their social standing, about their job status, about their income and their finances. And I'm not saying those things aren't important. I certainly understand that they are. But if you think that you are the person who doesn't have to lose anything along the way, well, my friend, you are going to lose it anyway. Because that is what this entire period is about. It has to affect everyone in a real enough way for those people to wake up and demand change. And we demand that change together. And there is no way to reach that point without coming to grips with the fact that the election was stolen. And once an election is stolen, you cannot have any faith in any election after it, especially when you can still see elections being stolen. And I have friends that are taking these positions and I like those people. I think they are extraordinarily wrong and operating from a position of utter ignorance. How in the world can you think that the elections next fall or the elections in 2024 are just going to magically get better because we all want to focus on that? It's utterly delusional. Donald Trump uh, yesterday in the morning released this statement. 
It's really interesting. Everybody wants me on television. I get the highest ratings by far. They need ratings to survive. And yet I put out a challenge to debate me about the massive election fraud, which took place in the 2020 presidential election. And there are no takers. Think of it. Zero takers for the so-called ratings machine. The reason is they know they can't win. All I have to do is lay out the facts. They are irrefutable. I've supposedly won all my political debates, but this would be the easiest of them all. Swing state by swing state, they get decimated. This is the hoax and the scam and the crime of the century. Just remember, no takers. And he's right. Why aren't there any takers? We are being told by our betters day in and day out that this focus on 2020 On one side, we're being told that it is ineffective. We're going to turn off voters. People don't care about this stuff. People don't understand. They want to focus on the future. And on the other side, we're being told that this conversation at all is tearing down our democracy. It's very dangerous. All of those conspiracy theorists out there, all of those QAnons, the QAnon violent threat. Where has there been a QAnon violent threat anywhere in the country ever? Can you show me one? How about how about this? Maybe you can find some random guy somewhere who liked some Q posts or shared some Q posts and then went out and did something messed up. But are there five? Are there 10? I don't think so. Is there some mass violent push an organizational idea that goes out there and uses QAnon posts as a justification for political violence, that doesn't exist anywhere. And sorry, no, January 6th is not an example. And then we consider that in the face of an entire summer of extraordinary political violence. All from one side, That they rationalized and justified because they were somehow solving racism by doing it. And we're supposed to think, oh, yeah, they've got a point. This is destroying our democracy. Well, here's the thing. If you want to shut all those people down, send someone up there to debate President Trump about election fraud and let the public decide what they actually think after they all see it. I mean, you have all the very serious, very smart, very knowledgeable people on your side, don't you? Can they not just mop the floor with President Trump in a debate about election fraud? Would you say there's no evidence anywhere? Baseless claims. This was the most safe and secure election of all time. All the courts have thrown out all the cases, but yet none of those very smart, very serious people will go up there and just show up President Trump. They'll expose President Trump and his total lack of knowledge, his absolute ignorance of the facts. The best way to discredit President Trump is by proving him wrong face to face. Can't anyone do that? And if they can, why aren't they taking up the challenge of doing it? That would just put an end to the whole thing, wouldn't it? You want to destroy our movement? Step on up and prove President Trump wrong, except they can't do that. And they know they can't do it. So they allow the media to fight their battles for them. They allow the media to repeat the actual big lie that they repeat over and over and over and over and over again until everybody believes it, until everybody just goes out and repeats the slogans. They punish everyone who doesn't go along with their narrative. And people eventually get scared off. They get intimidated by how challenging the situation is. They get incentivized into silence and they go right back to sleep. And our country continues its steep decline into global communism and the end of human freedom. And we are supposed to believe that that is the responsible thing to do. That's the respectable position because we don't want to seem like crazy people. We don't want to have these goals that are hard to attain. The entire thing sounds like a campaign slogan for Mitch McConnell or Dan Crenshaw. This is embarrassing. Does anyone actually think that if they put someone up to debate Donald Trump, Donald Trump is going to just back out of it? Is this a bluff that he thinks no one is going to call? Of course not. 
And we already know that they are coming from this position because the January 6th very violent insurrection just so happened to take the entire country's eyes off what was going to be hours and hours of public objection to the overwhelming evidence of election fraud that got shut down. And in the nearly 11 months since then, there has not been one other occasion where election fraud was debated in public and shown to the public by the mainstream. They have tried to deflect and distract from every single discussion about election fraud. And I talk often about how people like Joe Rogan have still not brought anyone on to tell them about election fraud. Where is Peter Navarro on Joe Rogan? Where is Seth Keschel on Joe Rogan? Are these people not serious enough? Of course they are. Are they not culturally relevant enough? Again, that's insane. There is an obvious and systematic attempt to make sure that the general public never actually finds out about the substance of any of the election fraud claims, because as soon as they start to, the whole thing starts crashing down. And the truth is, that's not even a difficult goal to achieve with enough public pressure. There are plenty of points at which public pressure can be applied to actually fix these situations, whether it's pushing support behind Ramthan's thing in Wisconsin or pushing support behind the idea that Trump actually debates someone or that Joe Rogan goes out and hosts Donald Trump on the Joe Rogan podcast for three hours and lets Donald Trump talk about all these things. Why doesn't that happen? Why doesn't that happen? That would be Joe Rogan's biggest episode of all time. But instead, we're told to focus on the future as if getting free and fair results from an obviously rigged election that is just rigged in a slightly different way because we changed some election rules around the margins that, by the way, all those states are just going to be happy to change themselves again in whatever way they want, knowing they won't be held accountable because we've already shown them that. And that's somehow supposed to be the easier option, the better chance for success. Giving up is a better chance for success than actually exposing the problem when it shouldn't be that hard. It really shouldn't be that hard. We have the potential and the power to push all of these narratives into the mainstream. Part of the reason why that doesn't happen is because so many people on our side are still on legacy social media, getting demoralized daily by all these commies. They are getting shown what they are seeing through an algorithm that exists to demoralize and silence them, and they still participate. They watch the mainstream media. They have conversations with their mainstream friends where they are still scared of standing up for true positions that they should by now be able to support. But that doesn't happen because that might make you look crazy. You're going to get called a conspiracy theorist by a bunch of people who don't know a goddamn thing. And we're scared. And do you want to know how weak and pathetic and unpopular that rhino position actually is? Well, look no further than Chris Christie's book sales. This is a pretty good summary of what's happening from the Daily Mail. White elephant. <laughs> Uh, that's got two meanings because it's Chris Christie and he's enormous. Chris Christie's new book on how to save the Republican Party sells a paltry 2,289 copies during its first week on shelves, despite huge media blitz by ex-New Jersey governor. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie's new book, touting himself as the potential savior of the Republican Party, has sold just over 2,000 copies in the week since it was published. In its first week available in stores, Christie's tome titled Republican Rescue has sold just 2,289 copies, according to BookScan data cited by the publishing newsletter Press Run. Press Run author Eric Bollert called the sales figures a colossal publishing flop and debacle for Christie. Comparing the dismal sales to the same week sales of 24,000 for Jonathan Carl's new political book, Betrayal, the final act of the Trump show. 
The meager book sales come despite persistent promotion of the book by Christie, who has appeared on The View, Fox and Friends, The Daily Show, CNBC, and twice on HBO, among others. As of Tuesday, Christie's book was ranked number 12,581 in Amazon's Kindle store. In his new book, Christie argues that the Republican Party must move beyond Donald Trump's fraud claims about the 2020 election, slamming them as delusional conspiracy theories. So if we're to believe that this establishment rhino position that we should just look forward and not try to fix 2020 is actually the popular position that people support and people are rejecting Trumpism then why are they rejecting the people that the rhino establishment is putting up as the next leaders, the people who are prepared to lead us out of Trumpism into the new era that we all really want? Now, switching subjects without a segue, Anthony Fauci came out to the White House press podium today to announce that the Omicron era has finally begun in the United States. And guess where the first case was? California, which makes sense because if it happened in Texas or Florida, they wouldn't be able to exert state control and then make that the new narrative. California is doing everything it can to protect its citizens against the very scary variant. See, have confirmed that a recent case of COVID-19 among an individual in California was caused by the Omicron variant. Genomic sequencing was conducted at the University of California at San Francisco, and the sequence was confirmed at the CDC as being consistent with the Omicron variant. So I know there are a lot of questions, but here's what we know right now. The individual was a traveler who returned from South Africa on November the 22nd and tested positive on November the 29th. The individual is self-quarantining and all close contacts have been contacted and all close contacts thus far have tested negative. The individual was fully vaccinated and experienced mild symptoms which are improving at this point. So this is the first confirmed case of COVID-19 caused by the Omicron variant detected in the United States. All right, so we have an individual in California who just so happened to travel from South Africa and then just so happened to get a PCR test that we know yields an incredible amount of false positives. And then they took that PCR test and ran genomic sequencing tests on it to discover that that sample resembles the very scary variant. Now, do they take all positive COVID tests and run genomic sequencing on them? The answer to that question is no. They actually choose a very, 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 very tiny number of positive tests and run genomic sequencing on those. But thank goodness they checked this one or else we would have never known. And it turns out that individual was fully vaccinated. So I guess this very scary variant is able to create breakthrough cases for the very safe and very effective vaccine. But wait a second. Ah, the other variants are able to break through the very safe and very effective vaccine, too. So I suppose that once again, the very safe and very effective vaccine didn't do anything. And the only solution is to get more very safe and very effective vaccines immediately. You know, I, I'm not so sure we should say that that would be a requirement. I would say what I've been saying all along, that we have 60 million people in this country who are not vaccinated, who are eligible to be vaccinated. Let's get them vaccinated. Let's get the people who are vaccinated boosted Let's get the children vaccinated. That's where we want to go as opposed to a requirement. There we have it. The problem with vaccinated people becoming infected in South Africa is that not enough people are vaccinated in the United States with a vaccine that does not prevent infection, transmission, serious illness or death. Way to solve the problem is get more people vaccinated 
so that at least the drug companies can make money and there's some positive outcome to all of this. But not only that, we got to get the kids vaccinated because while the shots don't work and while they do cause more harm to people, the younger they are, and while the disease causes less harm to people, the younger they are, it's very, very important that these children also comply with the system as handed down by the very same people who created the virus. In the 1917-1918 flu pandemic, it eventually evolved till it was less lethal. But there are those who are saying that we're never going to get that far with this virus because we need more people vaccinated. What do you see as the end game? I mean, the end game, which we hope and I think will occur, is that as we get more people vaccinated, not only in this country, but globally, we will see a situation where viruses will not have the opportunity what they have right now is to essentially freely distribute and freely circulate in society, both domestic society and global society. The more protection you get with vaccines, the less likelihood a virus has to do that, the less likelihood a virus has to mutate, the less likely you're gonna get a variant. So one of the things that we need to do about our long end game is to do the things we've been saying every single day, not only for ourselves but internationally. And you know, we have done a lot and will continue to do a lot to get lower middle income countries vaccinated. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that this will end. I promise you that this will end. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Sir, we have to let Dr. Fauci go. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Not additional details, but uh, they're going to be doing a press conference in California where they may have it. Pretty much everything he just said is provably wrong by the science, but we can't say that because if we do, then we are attacking the science because Anthony Fauci represents the science. According to Anthony Fauci, he just stood in front of the American public and told them that more people getting vaccinated would prevent this sort of thing from happening, even though the only people so far who have been reported as having the very scary variant are all fully vaccinated. And we know for a fact, an obvious agreed upon fact that the virus does not prevent infection, transmission, serious illness, or death. So how does more people being vaccinated equate to the disease spreading at a lower rate within our communities? And of course it doesn't. And that's where the language trick comes in. Calling this a vaccine when it doesn't do anything that a vaccine does and expressing the wholly anti-scientific view that somehow this vaccine has the potential to slow the spread of the very scary variant, even though it has been proved world over that the experimental gene therapy does not do that at all only serves to confuse the American public into the prior complacency. This is the exact same narrative program they have run the entire time. We're being told it's our responsibility to do something that the science proves and that they admit doesn't work because the only priority is stopping a disease that none of these things stop. This is as dystopian as it gets. This is nothing more than a mechanism for control. And it might be worth noting at some point that all of the people repeating all of the slogans about the coronavirus are the very same ones that are going to either deny election fraud in total or tell us that whether or not it happened, the real priority is looking ahead to the future because we don't want anybody to tell us we're crazy. We don't want to be the people who are going to upset the apple cart and state the obvious truth that all of this is bullshit and it is all for one purpose to take the country in one direction. We are being incentivized to agree to lie 
about some of the most important issues that can ever affect our lives. Imagine what would have happened if everyone just stood up and told the truth from the beginning. The fact that a censorship regime is in place and everyone knows it should tell you how important it is for us to spread the truth. That is the only thing that allows them to hold on to power. If the censorship regime were gone, all of this would be over immediately. And the truth is we can end it even with the censorship regime in place. As long as everyone just stands up and speaks the truth and stops telling everybody that we really need to move on. Oh, really? We have simply moved on at basically every step in this process as far as the coronavirus is concerned, and they've tried to move on as far as the election fraud is concerned. And what has it gotten us? Did we get out of the pandemic with masking and lockdowns and travel restrictions and vaccine passports and contact tracing? Did we get out of it with vaccines? No. And we're not going to get out of election fraud by pretending that changing some rules and changing some laws around the edges when those changes are made by people who are already holding illegitimate power is somehow going to fix that either. All of this is crazy. Stand up and tell the truth. That's it. That's all. That's all you have to do. Say it to everyone at every opportunity. And do not let these people silence you. And for God's sake, stop trying to hold on to these things you think you're going to lose, believing that your silence is somehow going to protect them. It isn't. If you haven't learned that yet, it's because you haven't been affected. The people exerting control are not on your team. If they haven't come for you yet, they will. And when they do, you are going to lose all of those things you were holding on to anyway. You might not lose them if you actually stand up and fight for them. And your doing that will allow other people to do it. And when everyone does it, all of this ends. You want the way out. That's the way out. You will never find the way out through compliance. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range.
acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!